dude yeah, i've almost gotten cancelled so many times lately for just fucking random shit i've said on twitter <laughs> oh, i've got to be, i know man I, I have to be more careful i've been trying to be more careful since about like just blurting out opinions i feel like i get um i'm just really bad some days about just kind of being pissed off on the internet yeah and and it's kind of embarrassing because i'm like a fucking 33 year old man who should like you know have his shit under control i mean uh, everybody's and, got know, emotions I'm, yeah for sure but it's like i mean i also have a responsibility you know because i have like a kind of a larger platform and stuff it's like i shouldn't you know i should be more careful about just like saying dumb shit that might hurt people's feelings but um yeah every now and then i'll be like you know what fuck this and i'll just like make a statement and then all of a sudden i'm like oh shit everyone hates me (laughs) delete 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 (laughs) abort Hello and welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. My name is Robert Fumo, stepping in for the missing in action Anand, who is the manager of Mr. Bill. He is unreachable right now. We hope it's just a weekend bender and he will be back with us next week. But until then, Mr. Bill has sat down with Woody Klon, aka Dufray. He is an electronic music producer with an insatiable hunger for brain-tickling soundscapes and squelchy bass. A musician from a young age, he has been squeezing sounds from his environment since he can remember, says his bio. The chat is entertaining. Also head over to MrBillsTunes.com, become a hardcore Abletoneer, and learn everything you need to know in regards to music production and have Mr. Bill be your professor. Also head over to Patreon, become a patron, get these episodes early amongst other goodies. And again, let's keep our fingers crossed. We get Anand back next week and enjoy the chat between Mr. Bill and Dufresne, and cheers. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. all right cool man um we're going then thanks for coming on the podcast apologies that it took me a minute to get ready i was uh i've been dealing with like uh fucking hoa documents and shit lately uh which is boring as fuck if anyone is listening to this podcast is a hoa document expert hit me up (laughs) because (laughs) it's the worst what kind of shit are you dealing with uh, I mean, just the shit that comes with owning a house, I guess. You have to just, like, read a lot of documents, and it's annoying, and they're hard to understand because they're all legal documents. Like, you know, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever... You probably have to do this sometimes, like, when you get deals for shows or, you know, when there's something happening pertaining to, like, a song release or something, you have to read through some sort of legal document, right? And the the way these legal documents are structured is, like 
uh, at the top, it's like a sort of hierarchy of, you know, we're now going to refer to the artist as this, and we're now going to refer to the label as this, you know, the label is called like the house. And then the artist is called like the master, uh, haver. And then the, the publisher is called like the, the master obtainer or something like that. And then like later on, it's like the house gives to the master obtainer, the master havers thing. And like, it just becomes like so abstracted from like the actual thing that they're trying to say and i mean language itself is already an abstraction right it's like the feeling that you have is never quite conveyable you always have to convey it through like this medium of language anyway and then they just like put this second second level of abstraction in there sounds like sounds like you're reading dune but but there's no payoff at the end yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's basically what I'm doing. I'm reading Dune with no payoff at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you get 400 pages deep, and you're like, "Is this going to get interesting?" But then it just doesn't. Have you read Dune? Yeah. Yep. Nice. I've not. Have did you like read the book, or did you listen to an audio book? Or I read it. I read it, and I, I had that experience pretty much exactly. Ben uh, Six has told me to read it, and like 400 pages in i was like is this gonna get interesting at any point like is this is this worth it he's like yeah just read read a couple more 100 pages in there it's like a 700 page book and it finally gets interesting towards the end i I recommend it definitely in that case like um could you just sort of like give me the gist of the first 400 and i could just read like the last 200 no no it's like it's like tons of backstory and history of all the different families involved and all of the the drama leading up to why they're fighting on this barren desert planet which is basically all for the spice but like it's all it's all it's it's confusing it's all family history stuff mm. yeah i uh so at my girlfriend's house they have this um sticker on their spice cabinet that says the spice must flow <laughs> and i always thought that it was a reference to the south park episode with tom brady where oh my god <laughs> have you seen that yeah 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 where everyone's like trying to steal tom brady's shit because he has a really like healthy gut by him and they think if they like i don't know what is it they think if they eat tom brady's shit or something like that, no, that they will get a really healthy gut by him they need it's like an anal like insertion they're trying to get like anal uh not implants but like um I don't know the word. They're trying to they're trying to use his butt his poop to put it in their butt for their for their gut biome. Right, and then they keep like referring to this area of his house as like the spice melange. <laughs> <laughs> well, the spice melange is the uh, is in Dune like that's what they call the spice that that like is vital to control space travel and it like get it gets like the this one type of person high so they can see the future and shit and they can like travel interplanetary and and fast in the speed of light with without fucking up basically Mm. the spice melange (laughs) yeah so for like six months i was like oh yeah cool the south park episode and then finally someone was like oh no that's a dune reference (laughs) well the whole the south park episode is referencing dune so it's 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 Mm. like the abstraction of one layer level of language on top of another level of language. Right. Yeah, I didn't... I never realized that the South Park episode was referencing that. I thought it was just them coming up with some dumb shit. (laughs) And to me, I was like, yeah, the Spice Milan, that's hilarious. Now it's even funnier that it's like referencing an actual thing. And speaking of like crazy fantasy shit, I've been watching Game of Thrones lately. I'd never watched it before and I'm up to season three and it's pretty sick. Have you watched it? 
No, I'm one of those people that like didn't wouldn't watch it because it was too cool. It was like too popular, and I was too cool for it. But I think that's I think that's probably pretty fucking stupid. Yeah, I kind of have those responses to things too sometimes, right? Like for instance, um, Marshmallow. Like I know that he's just the biggest shit ever in electronic music, and so I've never really bothered to listen to it because I'm like it's probably just like poppy crap that I that I wouldn't like. But then he recently put out some tracks uh, with Peekaboo and Subtronics. And so I was like, oh, I'll give, give Marshmallow's Spotify page a bit of a listen through. And I found a couple of tracks that are actually pretty cool. Uh, and this also applies to Martin Garrix. I like recently found a Martin Garrix tune that I think is really sick as well. Yeah, I, I, um, <clears throat> I, I'm kind of under the school of thought that a lot of pop music is, is pop music because it's formulaic and it's, it's like made in such a scientific way um cookie cutter way that that's why it's popular but a lot of other music like amy winehouse for instance uh i think that that's popular because it's good and a lot of the times like i think those two these two things can get convoluted and there's there's a lot of music that's popular because it's good and i feel like there's got to be a lot of edm that i'm overlooking kind of in the same way that that has to be good don't give it don't give it the opportunity yeah, I mean, clearly the people who are behind these projects like Martin Garrix and Marshmallow and stuff are like epic producers. And also at that point, like when you have that much money, um, you know, they're writing music on the best speakers that money can buy using like, you know, all the best plugins that you can buy. Like I'm sure that there's no like expense spared at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, they're getting it mastered by the best people alive. They're probably getting it mixed down by like the the best engineers out there. Like I know... um. Skrillex gets all of his stuff mixed down by that guy Tom Norris. Uh, get your snack on. I don't know if you know. He um he also engineers like a lot of Zed's stuff. I think he did in the middle or whatever it's called. Um, he also like engineered Lady Gaga's recent album. Awesome. Yeah, this dude is like um I really want to get him on the podcast. Actually, he uh, essentially went to school for linguistics. And then, like, basically just at the end of his linguistics career, uh, sorry, degree, he'd been just, like, messing around on Fruity Loops throughout, like, you know, his graduate degree or whatever. And at the end, just decided, like, oh, fuck it, I don't even, like, want to do linguistics anymore and just, like, started <laughs> engineering for Skrillex. <laughs> what? Yeah, he was just, like, on the Fruity Loops forum all the time. Uh, and he would just, like, post these sound recreations. Uh, this was, like, back in the day when... I guess everyone was trying to figure out how to make like Skrillex sounds and stuff. He'd be like, oh yeah, I figured out how to make this Skrillex track and like it would just be a perfect recreation of it. Um, and I guess from that, he like got kind of picked up by a lot of these people. So, so he was yeah. like, you're, you're so good at making this that uh, why don't you just make it for me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, you know, I'm kind of busy doing other shit at this point in my career. So you know, I'll just I'll just hand the music bit off to you. <laughs> Jesus. Mm. I was... um. And, and the school that I went to, I went to Expression in the Bay, um, and we, we they used to do these expression sessions where they bring in like really, I don't know, world class engineers or producers or songwriters. I saw like Ed Sheeran do a talk there one time, <clears throat> but they brought in this um, old school producer dude named Al Schmidt, and uh, somebody asked him like there was a Q and A after the session where he talks about his, his career and everything and and. There's a Q and A where you can ask him questions, and they 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 asked him about this specific bass tone that he had on this uh, on this record, and he was like, "Man, it was actually pretty easy to to get. I just uh, got one of the best bass players in the world, uh, put him in front of a fifteen thousand dollar mic, ran it into a twenty thousand dollar preamp, and then you know ran it through a Neve console. I didn't really have to do much after that." 
<laughs> it's like oh yeah it's just like having access to the best shit ever of course yeah. you're like gonna get a good result yeah yeah i mean that's the thing right is like at that point when you have that much money or just like access to that much shit um there's no more of this uh i guess listening to shit in other songs and being like fuck i like need to figure out a way to do that with what i have you know like via yeah. maybe getting something off splice or using just the plugins that i have or you know asking some friends if they know how to do it or anything it's like at that point you, you just have enough money to throw at the problem that you can just like go to the person who you've heard that result from before and just be like here's money give me that <laughs> for my thing you know jeez i feel like that i feel like that that would be nice to, if you really wanted to have a prolific output but it kind of for me i think a lot of the fun is is figuring it out like we like when we were climbing like last week or, or two weeks ago um you, you were asking if i if like i like to ask other people for help and like sometimes i do if i really get stuck but like if i'm if i'm climbing i, I want to figure the problem out myself generally like i, I want to like go through the steps unless you get stuck and really frustrated but I feel like for me, I don't know how, I don't know, obviously I'm just speculating because I'm not in that position. I feel like that would, that would take some of the fun out of it. And I guess, but there would be a different kind of fun involved, I guess, because you could just make a bunch of shit really quickly and, and, and just have an insane output. Right. It's like, uh, I think it, the equivalent here would just be like, after, you know, not having to do all the sound designy bits or the engineering bits is like, you've gotten past the V4, V5 shit. And now you're like stuck on the next shit, like V7, V8. It's like, you're just stuck on the next set of problems at that point. Cause you like remove the first problems. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of the time when I'm making, making tunes, I like, I don't want to go through and make all the micro edits, like to finish it off. Like I got the, I've got the full scope of the project and I'm like, fuck, I don't want to do three hours of granular synthesis and, and get a bunch of salt and pepper to add on top. <clears throat> then you just do it, but like, yeah, there's like tools that you can use for that shit though. Right. Like there's uh you know, stuff like, um, fuck, what's it called? Like isotope stutter edit. And there used to be that thing live cut. And I guess there's like, you know, beat repeat in Ableton. I feel like if, if you set up a bunch of kind of interesting racks with those and just like run layers through it over and over again, eventually you just like can pick all the nice little edit bits out of them all. I used to do all that shit by hand as well. And then over the years, I've like slowly moved from like hand editing shit to kind of like uh, editing stuff via just like plugins that do that. And then just like sort of selecting the best bits. I've still been using, I, I stopped using Live Cut because I just got kind of like used it until I abused the shit out of it. But I, I've been still using Ubic G like a lot. Like I've been going back to that. It's, it's kind of older, but I'll do the same thing. I'll just run layers and run the same, like I'll, I'll make maybe like a spin out or like make a sound and then just keep running that through Ubic G until it like sounds unusable. So I've definitely been, been doing that kind of stuff. Also portal, man. Have you fucked up? Have you checked out portal? No, I know that, uh, Jake made it and I, I've been meaning to, but, um, so actually I believe I bought exhale from output it's like that contact sampler thing that they made with like all the vocal shit in it and i did not like it at all and i like returned it so now i have some credits with output which i've been meaning to spend on portal yeah you should do it portal's incredible um i'm pretty sure yeah it was like jake's baby he doesn't work for them anymore jake mamukshu for people that are out there um yeah he doesn't uh, i was gonna say yeah, it was like his baby, and you can tell a lot of the time. I think Ben also did some presets for it, and you can tell like it sounds like them. 
a lot. But it's it, you'd have a lot of fun with it. I I don't even really get deep with it. I don't really even get under the hood. I just pu- pull up presets and move the XY pad around pretty much, and it's that that's good enough for me. Yeah, honestly, most of the time I whip out plugins these days. I'm very rarely like learning all the ins and outs of them, and then like doing the exact thing I want because there's just so like usually plugins they ship with like hundreds of presets you know and quite often i'm like surely one of these is gonna be like pretty close to what i would do if i played with it for an hour or two anyway so it's like why not just save myself the time and just like click shit until i think something sounds good and then it it also like has the effect or the benefit of being able to remove myself more from like the technical aspects of writing because i feel like uh i have like a hard uh problem with Uh, valuing effort too much and if i spend like an hour or so on a preset i find it very hard to not use that preset whereas if i just like click through presets i'm just going to go for the one that sounds the best rather than the one that i put the most effort into yeah that makes sense i uh, i um i remember you saying a couple years ago when you were doing that live tour with kj uh like after that you were like you kind of posed the question like what is a live performance to you guys and like what 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 warrants like it to be live and i think like your conclusion eventually was just like i'm doing too much putting too much effort into this live shit because you were doing like beat pads and like all types of shit triggering all types of shit all the time and it just it just seems like yeah the the, the value of effort um versus output is a kind of a tricky one to deal with yeah totally yeah i got to the point with that live shit where i was just like I don't really enjoy putting together these sets. It's like hours and hours of work to put together these sets. I mean, it's still hours and hours of work to put together DJ sets, but like it was like hundreds of hours of work to put together these live sets. Uh, and then that was like hundreds of hours. I mean, there's like albums worth of time that I put into building sets that I could have just been building more albums, you know, or writing more albums. And I think at the end of the day, I would have had more fun making albums. I would have uh, probably learned more making albums. My career probably would have progressed more from making albums. Like there's just so much more benefit, I think, to writing music over building live sets or live shows. I guess that's another thing, right? Where like if you have enough money and you get to that like marshmallow level or whatever, you can just be like, hey, uh, Melt Creative, here's a million dollars, build me a show. (laughs) (laughs) They'd be down, shout out Melt Creative. Yeah, man. I think yeah, they're called something different now. They're called Extended Reality Group. Nice. Um, yeah, they had they had a switch of ownership. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I feel you. I, I don't I, like. I don't really enjoy too much building DJ sets with record box and pl- like I, I enjoy playing them, but I can't imagine what it would be like spending a hundred hours on a live set. And it's like, and to be honest, like I as a producer, like our friends get a lot of that out of that and like we're our mind is blown but the average person like who likes to see a guitar on stage isn't really going to get much out of that they're going to be like oh he's pressing buttons but i don't have any idea what the fuck he's doing Hmm. yeah i feel like this it's hard to like translate uh what's going on to a to most people i feel like at this point of like music and society and whatnot most people who aren't even like into music at all um, have had the chance at some point during their life to at least press some buttons on a piano or like pick up a guitar at a party for like two seconds or something. So they like have some vague understanding of like how hard it is to do that and also what's required of doing that. 
and then therefore when they see somebody else do it they're like one i understand what they're doing and two i understand how hard it is to do so they can be in awe of it you know whereas um when you're like playing a beat pad or something or you're like even just sitting up there with like a push or an apc like triggering stuff a these people have never used one before so they don't even know what it does uh, and two, they don't know how hard it is to do. So it's hard to be like impressed by it. Cause for all, you know, it could be the easiest thing ever, right. From, or, you, or, or for all, you know, they're not even doing anything. It's like, <laughs> they're just sitting around fucking pressing buttons to look cool. I mean, or you got like, you got like the, the future primitive and the antennae who like pick the thing up and move it around. And that's impressive for some reason. But like, if you just had it down, it's less impressive than like seeing the motion and like in in reality it's like a filter sweep like it's not that impressive of a technique but like it looks impressive and like i think like i think it looks kind of cool when they do that shit i'm like yeah fuck yeah do that shit move it around <laughs> have fun with it uh it's more more enjoyable than just like watching somebody sit there on a computer yeah have you seen ankle pants play a show before yeah yep so he does that kind of yep. shit, except for like, instead of doing a filter sweep by moving a controller, he like moves his whole body because he just has accelerometers attached to his, uh, to his like suit and stuff. Yeah. We, we had him out for uh wormhole Halloween several years ago. Right. And the show with Noisia. Yeah. Noisia and EPROM and <laughs> I think on hell it was wild, but he just kept going. Like he kept playing. Um, and, and he was like standing out on the subs and he just wouldn't stop playing. And eventually like, it was like an hour and a half in and it was like almost 3am. Like and we had till four. I think eventually one of the wormhole dudes was like, dude, do you have your gear with you? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, please go set it up. We got to like, we got to stop this somehow. Like, it's <laughs> like, I think we, they, we reached the threshold of how much of this we can take. Cause like it was, for me, it was like, that was an awe-inspiring performance. I was thoroughly enjoying it. Like he pees on the crowd and shit. Like it's, it's, well, he, doesn't, he doesn't pee on the crowd. He squirts them with some form of liquid. It's not piss. Out, out of out of a out of a dick nose. Yeah, he, uh, yeah. It's, he definitely does not pee. It on is the crowd. liquid that comes out of a dick, but it's not piss. No, no, he does not pee on the crowd. <laughs> it's definitely noteworthy. <laughs> yeah yeah his his performances are crazy i've heard that from a few people at this point that like um specifically from that party that a lot of people were like man it was a lot <laughs> yeah. and, i mean i've i've watched him play like i don't know 20 or 30 sets at this point and i'm always really? super yeah man and i'm always like super impressed just because it's so different it's like when else do you get a chance to see something like that i was definitely impressed i think it was i think it was more like the Oakland crowd c couldn't really handle it. I I was fucking into it. I was like, this is insane. That party was just wild, though. It was there was so many things about that party that were too much. Like that the the cap at New Parish, I think, is around three seventy five, which is like pretty low for that amount of like space because there's the upper level and the lower level, and like three seventy five is pretty comfortable in there. But I think we had nine hundred people in the room. Oh my god! And it was like, e isn't that a lot like of highly illegal? Yeah, it's definitely illegal. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like we don't, they don't do shows there anymore. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but like when you, when you think about it, like a lot of Sanders sets can be too much for a lot of people. That's like, that's my shit. Like if I get to see EPROM, I'm, I'm like a pig and shit. Um, but, uh, Noisia, that's pretty intense too. Like, I think it was just like one thing after another that was all really intense. And then you get ankle pants to finish it off. And I think people were like, <laughs> Oh God, I can't handle it. It's too much. Wait. So was he supposed to play until 4 a.m.? No, he was supposed to have an hour set, and then we were, like, I think they were just going to have like wormhole DJs back-to-back, -back, but there was no solid plan. Um, 
and and he just kept going like he just <laughs> didn't stop because there was nobody to like play after him and i think we just kind of like let him go because like it's a spectacle and you're not gonna like run up and touch him while he's playing or tell him to like <laughs> stop like he's he's fully committed to the act the whole time which i respect yeah man i saw him play at a bush tour once this like 10 years ago at this point and um there was this kid who was just like tripping so hard on acid and he was like you could just see him like losing his mind like all <laughs> reality was ending for him because this show was happening um and he like went up to the stage to try and make it stop and like started pulling cables out no. and he like pulled pulled his sound card out i think so the music like stopped and then uh ricard uh ankle pants like chased yeah. after him and just jumped on this kid and started beating the shit no. out of him like whilst whilst he was still wearing the mask <laughs> And like, so this kid who's like already losing his mind is then getting like beaten up by the thing that's causing him to lose his mind. A dick monster. Yeah. Jesus. That's yeah. so intense. Um, there's this Israeli dude who, not really on the same tip, but have you heard of Stubi? I think his name is? Yeah, dude. What, he like wears the red tights and stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. My God, that guy is awesome. I gave, I, I saw him at, um serenity maybe or something out at woodward reservoir uh symbiosis or something with like no idea of what was going on i just walked up to the side trans stage and it was incredible that dude is on some shit he's got like a crazy theremin that's like has like edison bulbs that light up with with it and he's doing so much stuff with his arms like he's conducting it obviously he's not conducting it but man that's another dude that i think people need to check out is stuby like if you like really out there fucking awesome wildlife performances that guy's rad yeah he's an interesting guy um so i've been to israel a bunch of times uh and i should note that i will never go there again so don't don't worry about harassing me about it anymore yeah (laughs) don't harass bill bill's a good guy yeah a lot of people uh when they learn that i've been there all of a sudden like you piece of shit how could you and it's like i mean yeah, the years that I went there, I was like not at all aware of the the conflict, and obviously the conflict's gotten so bad now. I don't, I, don't, I won't, yeah, I won't support Israel. But anyway, um, <clears throat> I went to Israel, where which is where Stubi is from, and yeah, he owns like a ton of studios there, man. Like he owns like twenty or so, like just really really nice studios. That's kind of his job. Is like he rents these studios out. Whoa. Um, and the, so I like spent a bunch of time in those, which were cool and i think now he has this truck which has this crazy studio in the back of it that he just drives around israel like writing tunes in the back of what um and then uh yeah the other the other thing that's really interesting about him is he's like massive in china yeah that's that's kind of his main gig is like going to china and it's kind of funny in china right because they have like the great firewall of china so they can't like access really internet outside of china yeah at least not very easily um I think you can do it with like VPNs and whatnot, but for the most part, people don't. And so you can kind of, according to, I heard this from Zebla and Kanti, I think it was Ben that told me this. Uh, you can kind of just go to China and then just tell them that you're a huge act from the US and there's like nothing they can do to like Google that and <laughs> verify it or not. Um, so you get a lot of these promoters like booking Western acts and just being like, yeah, man, they're like massive in the US. So like <laughs> these people uh, over there are like, oh yeah, this is like the shit. Fuck. And I don't know for some, yeah, somehow Stuby has like established himself over there and I've just seen photos of some of the shows that he's played over there and they're just huge. It's That's crazy. awesome. How do I get on that train? 
Should I hit, should I hit up my agent and tell her to book me in China? <laughs> as far as I know, you need someone to like represent you over there, like a um, okay. like an ambassador or something, or like a rep- representative. Uh, I don't exactly know how it works, but yeah, I know that it's um, yeah. There's a few people who have been over there. Uh, not many though. I mean, Subtronics has done a tour there. I think Virtual Riot has done a tour there. Zebler and Kanti have done a tour there, and as far as I know, that's like all the American people I've seen go over there. Jeez. And I think the way that Zebler and Kanti got over there was that um, one of the people that Ben taught uh, as a professor at Valencia Berkeley yeah. was a guy named Juan, and he's a Chinese guy, and he was able to like act as that ambassador guy or whatever, or the the representative for them and get them in. I think Sokka is originally from Hong Kong. Hong Kong and China are very different. They're Hong like, Kong's not in China? No, it's like its own thing. Oh, I well, mean, okay. it's technically, I think, a part of China, but it's like definitely not not the same. Okay. Like well, you, my... you, can get, you can just go into Hong Kong. You can't like just go into China. Okay. My my um mm. my brother-in-law's family lives in Hong Kong, so I was going to suggest that next, but not that, that doesn't cut it. No, I've played in Hong Kong. It's yeah, pretty how cool. was it? It was cool. Yeah, I went there from, there's a school there called Soul Passion run by this guy named Ed Rollo, I think is his name. Um, And yeah, they had me over there mostly to teach at class, but then I also played a show. And the show was honestly like, there was like 10 people there, but the club was insane. Like all the walls and the roof were all LED walls. Wow. It was like just a full cube of LED. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah, it was nuts. So that, that was crazy, but like, um... Yeah, the the turnout it's was not crazy, and the show itself was like the vibes were low, <laughs> considering <laughs> the room. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess playing in a new country is always kind of a risk. Um, you never know what's going to happen. I also went to Israel. Please don't kill me for it. Um, but uh, that was crazy because the the cats that brought me out have this. Um, have this like music sharing group on Facebook and the, and, and the, and the, and the people that they bring their crowd rather is really avid. Cause there's not a lot of bass music that happens in Tel Aviv. And, um, so they'll drive from all over the place to go see it. And, and they kind of like are really about the music. And so they're on this, this music sharing page and they'll start plugging you on the, on the music sharing page, like two months before you go out there and play. So I was, at a club in Tel Aviv playing to like 900 people and they were like mm-hmm. yelling the Adventure Time samples from my songs but like <laughs> as they happened and it was just the most surreal experience but but like at the same time it could have they could have not done it that way and I could have had 20 people at a show and, and like halfway across the world mm. was that depends. fusion culture yeah. yeah yeah fusion culture is sick and yeah, that's the thing, right? It's like when you go to Israel and you hang out with the fusion culture people, you're like, man, these people are just like you or I. Like they're not the fucking people oppressing Palestinians. No. But it's kind of a moral dilemma because at the same time as going over there, it's like you're bringing money into the uh, Israel economy. Yeah. You're like stimulating the economy by like, you know, having events there that you're sort of perpetuating the attendance of and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so it becomes like a complicated thing <clears throat> to, to deal with for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you don't want to like be viewed as supporting these things, but you do want to support these awesome people. Like those people are rad. Um, so yeah, I don't know. 
yeah agreed yeah it's a definitely not an issue that i think i'll ever understand and i don't want to talk too much about it because i feel like it's just going to end up in cancellation dude yeah, i've almost gotten cancelled so many times lately for just fucking random shit i've said on twitter <laughs> oh, i've got to be, i know man I, I have to be more careful i've been trying to be more careful since about like just blurting out opinions i feel like i get um i'm just really bad some days about just kind of being pissed off on the internet yeah and and it's kind of embarrassing because i'm like a fucking 33 year old man who should like you know have his shit under control i mean uh, everybody's and, got know, emotions I'm, yeah for sure but it's like i mean i also have a responsibility you know because i have like a kind of a larger platform and stuff it's like i shouldn't you know i should be more careful about just like saying dumb shit that might hurt people's feelings but um yeah every now and then i'll be like you know what fuck this and i'll just like make a statement and then all of a sudden i'm like oh shit everyone hates me <laughs> delete like, delete delete <laughs> abort yeah. I don't have a big enough Twitter following at like I, I I made a Twitter account like nine years ago and I never used it and I just recently started using it and I feel like the inactivity kind of like dulled the page down. I can't get over like a thousand followers. I've got like fifteen hundred right now. I can't breach into more and so I, it's like definitely the place that I just go and spew dumb shit because like all the other platforms I got even my personal page on Facebook like I feel like I can't say whatever I want. Uh, but most of it's positive anyways. It's just like stupid. Um, so I feel like I wouldn't be able to get canceled from saying dumb shit, but, um, I feel like I've got those days too, where I get, I get pissed off on the internet. It hasn't happened for a while. I've almost, I almost got canceled back in the day for saying some dumb shit, like, um, on a post about symbiosis. And it was like, I was arguing with somebody about, uh, people, um, having music in their campsite and i was like people should be able to do whatever they want it's a music festival and like i got like we got an argument about that and it's like that's the most asinine like come on dude get your shit together how are you gonna get canceled over that people what's the problem with somebody playing music in their campsite as long as i think as long as it's not interfering with like the music at the main stage plus it's not like keeping maybe people awake all night if people want to sleep and recharge for the next day you know like if you're doing it responsibly and like not being an asshole about it and you know somebody tells you to turn it down you're turning it down and like all that kind of stuff i don't see a problem with that i think it was just the language that i was using with with these people i don't think it was the actual argument in the first place yeah that's also fair um yeah the two times i've almost gotten cancelled recently one was for the name of my facebook group slash discord group which is um oh, it yeah. was called the illegal immigrants yeah <clears throat> and a lot of people were like well illegal immigrants is like rhetoric from the right and you're just like perpetuating that with this name and i was like that's fair enough um yeah. so i changed the name to just illegals and they were like well that doesn't that's not a that's no more helpful because illegals is also just shorthand for illegal immigrants okay um so i read about this problem and i was like all right yeah i don't i definitely don't think any human is illegal yeah i think that's total bullshit that anybody even thinks that i think it's disgusting that people think that so i changed it to just illegal community <clears throat> And a bunch of people still were not happy with that. And I was like, man, I can't just like completely change it at this point. Like at this point, I have a label built around it. I have, well, I have two labels built around it, like Belegal yeah, Sounds Beats. and Belegal Beats. Yeah. Plus I have like an entire corporation registered in Nevada as an LLC around this shit called yeah. Belegal Corporation. It's like at this point, I'm pretty, unfortunately, married to the name. I wish I, at this point I could just change it because I'm sick of arguing with people about it. But um, so that was one, one of the things. <clears throat> and then the other thing was like a about a month ago or something uh when i said that i don't think that um 
trans women should be able to compete against cisgendered women in sports. Okay. And I've since learned that that was also just a dumb opinion to have. I like heard Joe Rogan spouting this shit off on his podcast, and I was like, oh yeah, that sounds reasonable because it like without any background information on this subject it does sound reasonable right you yeah, like i mean like I, there's you know, there, like i can see how people would think that for sure right but uh since i've learned that it really just depends on how long uh the the trans woman has been on hormone therapy and if they've been on hormone therapy for i think it's two years or more then they're essentially just the equivalent strength and speed as a cisgendered woman and therefore it's completely not unfair in any way interesting that's good to know i I try to stay non-vocal about stuff like that um so that i think that's all the thing is is that's also kind of problematic right because if everybody just stays non-vocal about it and is like um abstinent in their unlearning of like you know social stigmas and stuff like that then that also just doesn't get us anywhere Though it is the safe thing to do on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, like, that's fair. I think that um, for me, I just don't want to talk about things that I don't know about. Um, and I haven't done any research on it. So it's like, if, if there's if there's a some type of political issue that I, that I actually know about, I'll definitely talk about that. Like, cops shouldn't be killing black people. That's pretty... Cops shouldn't be killing anybody. Stand by that. But I, I haven't done any research on the hormone therapy of trans women, so I've <laughs> haven't commented on that but maybe i'll do some research and talk about it yeah um well I th- yeah i think it's a double-edged sword right because it's like at, at some point you want to like talk about issues on the internet and like have conversations about them but it's really hard to do that on twitter because of the fear of getting canceled right like if you have the slightly wrong opinion for a minute and somebody doesn't like it or a group of people don't like it it's like very easy to just like lose your entire career in where you which you've invested like a decade into or whatever well and people um, will like circulate the screenshot of you saying the bad thing but but like won't accept the fact that you've learned something else well that's not true i mean i made an apology about this after i realized that i was wrong and it seemed like people accepted it which was really nice okay uh and that apology is still i think pinned as the first thing on my twitter i believe let's see profile uh yes it is yeah, it got a lot of likes. It got like one thousand two hundred likes, and which is good for me. Yeah, uh, that's good and, in general. Yeah, a lot of people read it and were were receptive to it, which I was actually kind of had a lot of. It gave me like faith in humanity, you know, because like in the past I've seen people just like get straight up cancelled and then yeah. try to apologize for stuff and then just get like even more cancelled. And in what? some cases that like makes a lot of sense. For instance, with Datsik, like his apologies were horrible, that and what bullshit. he did was. Yeah, and what he did was also like just you can't apologize for it at this point. I feel like is no the damage is done. You um, shouldn't be doing that shit in the first place, and and you definitely shouldn't release a quote unquote apology that um that starts with you, yo. That, <laughs> it starts with yo and doesn't <laughs> include the words I'm sorry. Like uh, you got you got to say I'm sorry if you're going to apologize. I'm sorry, dude. Yo, yo I'm sorry. That would have been better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I talked to Joshua Space Jesus about this, and he was like, "Yeah, man, the day that that shit went down was just crazy." Apparently, he was just like pacing on the tour bus, like all pissed off, and he's like, "I'm just gonna put out this thing." And his management and like everyone around him was like, "Please don't. It's the worst thing we've ever read." <laughs> like, oh no! And then he just went and did it anyway. Jesus. But yeah, 
That guy, no good. I have some theories that like he might just be marshmallow at this point. Really? Like, just, I mean, who knows? Like, tell me about tell me about these theories. Well, the theory is just that you know you don't know who marshmallow is. He's wearing a helmet, so yeah. Could be Datsik, who knows? Are, are they the same size and stature? Like, are they the same height-ish? I mean, I think. I don't know. I, all I know is that, like, you know, Datsik got cancelled, Marshmallow got big. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> For some reason in my head, Marshmallow's this really tall, muscular dude. But I don't, I don't actually have any idea of what he looks like. I've never really paid him much attention, to be honest. Well, the reason I think this is because I, like, watched this, um, uh, you know, like, the All-American Gladiator thing? where you do those like ninja warrior courses or something there was definitely a video of like marshmallow doing one of those and i was like there's no fucking way that a guy who sits at his fucking computer producing music for like however much can do this shit like that's somebody who like dedicates their life to fitness right there who's able to do that course so i was like clearly that's just somebody who dedicates their life to fitness with a marshmallow helmet on (laughs) and then i was like you know what maybe the guy djing all the marshmallow shows is datsik Oh my god! <laughs> I really fucking hope not. I know, and I, I know that's like a you know quite a large like assumption for me to make based on like this other thing that I saw. Like yeah. to just jump to that like as a conclusion is pretty insane. I, I recognize <laughs> that, but also I'm not discounting any options here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what if you, I mean like I'm I'm willing to believe that you're fucking marshmallow. I mean, it's possible. I think I'd be living in a bit of a nicer house if that was the case. And I'd probably, <laughs> I think I'd have, maybe that would be a part of the meta though, right? It's like, I wouldn't yeah. be flaunting my cash because then people would know. Or, like, you've got, or you've got this dummy house, like this side apartment that like is just to throw people off. <laughs> it's just like, attached to this like giant place that like yeah. nobody's ever seen. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I've I've been to your house in San Francisco when you were living with um with Michael back in the day. I'm I'm pretty sure oh, yeah. that you're not marshmallow, but could yeah. be. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe Michael's marshmallow. Oh. That'd be crazy. Probably <laughs> that's that's a re- that's a really reasonable. Uh, that's even more reasonable than Dad's like one jump of logic. Yeah, potentially. Um, yeah, what have you been up to, man? Like, I know I probably should have asked that first, but um, <laughs> how's like you know music going and everything? Um, this year has been better for music for me than uh, I've been dealing with for a long time. After I wrote uh, the full length album that I put out, uh, I had a hard time kind of. I don't know. It was kind of like I don't want to sound insensitive, but it was like uh, postpartum d- depression, like. Or po- like after you have a baby and then you get sad about it like not being inside of you anymore, I guess, postpartum depression. It felt like that. Like I felt like I was, wasn't able to express myself because I kind of said everything that I meant to say. And that happened for like two or three years. And recently I feel like I found my voice again. And I've, I've finished an EP that's coming or came out uh, last Tuesday. And then I've got another drum and bass EP that's like almost done. I've got just to finish the last song on it. And I've been collabing with people and, and, like I just did, I did one at 5 a.m. the other day, and Chris Killsmith and I just started one with Alejo, and it feels good to just like be focused again and actually able to do what I want to do with music. Mm. It's really good. Nice, yeah. I, I kind of get that sometimes as well. Actually, like when once I've written a bunch of music, I'm like, oh man, yeah, I've kind of like that's that's all the new shit I have to say, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and when I say like that's the new shit I have to say, I guess like that's that's just all the new expressions that I have inside me, I guess, like all the new things that I've converted from experiences into 
pieces of music or whatever yeah um and then you just kind of have to wait for that to replenish again through like time i guess it's like the only real way to do it yeah i always say that you can't write music about writing music you have to write music about life which is only true to an extent you can write music about writing music if that's your life uh which i mean it is for probably both of us but um Mm. i feel like also when when i'm towards the end of a release i kind of go like into this manic crunch time mode where i'm just focusing and spending like eight to twelve hours a day doing that and trying to finish the release um and uh i feel like sometimes after i've been in the studio for a whole month i just don't really want to sit there and do it anymore for a minute and i feel like that's part of it like i've expressed all this stuff i like fine-tune all these minute details and just kind of need a break but three three years of a break is is much too long like that's that's you're you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot you have to relearn a bunch of stuff that you spent a bunch of years learning Mm -hmm. It's, it's right do you not think you could spend those years um doing other tasks that still pertain to the overall project of making music though like sound design file organization you know administrative stuff you know getting all your business crap in order i oh that's definitely a good point i i definitely could have done that i I didn't um personally but you definitely could like i feel like a lot of the time if you're if you're working every day in the studio you're not going to be writing new tunes or, or or doing sound design every day a lot of the time you will be trying to organize your library and getting emails sent back and making sure that your taxes are done and shit like that yeah i think those things are just as important actually because i feel like honestly if i don't have those things under control like if i don't do enough sound design then i end up just pulling from splice all the time uh because i need new sounds like i don't want to keep recycling the same sounds i used in the last songs that's just that gets super uninspiring um i also if i'm not doing sound design i'm not like usually learn using you know because like i said when i'm writing music i usually just like open a plugin and pick presets right because i don't want to get like jolted out of that flow of writing music i just want to pick something and move on um so if i'm not like doing dedicated sound design sessions i'm never getting the chance to learn how new plugins work and stuff so i'm just kind of like stunted in my knowledge and then if i also don't like do my taxes and shit i just have this like looming anxiety over me all the time and then i find it extremely hard to make music because as i'm making it i'm like fuck i know i have to do this thing like i I feel guilty for making music and that's kind of like a weird thing in itself right because as far as I understand, a lot of people feel the opposite way. They feel guilty for not making music. And more often than not, I feel I feel guilty for making music because I know I have like other background tasks that need to get done. Yeah. That's what Anand is for. He just handles all that for you, right? <laughs> not all of it. I mean, <laughs> some of it for sure. But Anand, some... do my laundry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's like some stuff that, you know, Anand can't handle. Yeah. Though he, he does really well on like the visa stuff and... Uh, obviously like all the show stuff he 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 refers to himself as a glorified travel agent which uh i mean to some degree is true yeah he's funnier than uh, any travel agent i've ever met which is zero but like i'm assuming that he's funnier (laughs) than pretty much all of them yeah that's probably true speaking of people who are funny i was gonna say before uh before when you were talking about writing music about writing music i feel that's like the same thing um about comedians after they've been just like traveling a bunch and not having any life experiences you you see in their like second and third netflix specials all their jokes are just about airports and flights yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's like you can tell they've just been like traveling their first material and like all they've been doing since is like flying around and shit and then they're like so airplanes hey like i had a funny experience on one of those the other day (laughs) 
I mean, I've, I've definitely noticed that for sure. Um, or they're like, oh, I was talking to somebody outside of a show the other day. And it's like, well, that's that's your whole life now, I guess, is airplanes and talking <laughs> to people outside shows, not right. getting enough sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the track that you started the other day with uh, Killsmith and Alejo, is that going to be uh, like an ultra sloth tune? Uh, we 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 like initially thought it was going to. Well, I'm not sure what direction it's going to take. It's um, it's pretty chill. It's on the chill side, which definitely is not ultra slothy. But uh, if we can bring it around, then yeah, I hope it's going to be an ultra sloth tune. We can get it to, over to the other Chris and and get that going. But it's like real vibey and mellow, and it's like kind of on the chill smith, like more chiller my side st- things but we're about to send that over to alex and have him work on it so maybe he can bring it around and make it make it a banger nice yeah cool yeah how's the ultra sloth stuff been going you've been doing that for what like a couple of years now we started it in 2016 but we weren't we weren't making the kind of music we are now uh we've been getting in the studio a lot more than we have over the last year so chris and i have been getting together because we lived like so close um and we've got like some new projects started finally and they are coming together really well it's like i don't know i'm sure you have this experience in this in the studio sometimes where you get down and you, you sit there and, and nothing really comes out for like eight hours and then you've got other days that you just sit down and like write a whole tune in six hours and that's kind of how it's been with chris and i lately it's we've just been writing like sitting down and, and a lot of ideas are coming out um and that's exciting it's definitely exciting Nice. Yeah, I've written music with Chris a couple of times at this point, and yeah, I definitely have the same experience. Like one time, a track happened in like two days, and yeah, uh, the last few times I think we've worked on shit. I mean, the track that I'm just about to put out of ours on my new album took us like a year to write. Yeah, and then there's another one that we wrote the other day in a couple of days that I don't like at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> so does he like it? I don't know. I haven't. I haven't asked him. I mean, I I assume he probably doesn't hate it i mean i don't hate it either it just needs a lot of work so i think that one's going to be another like six month or one year yeah yeah um well i'm seeing him tomorrow i'll ask him if he if he hates it or not nice yeah he told me he just went on some like crazy rainforest walk yeah him and brit went um went walking in the rainforest for like a, a week so they're, they're just they're just done now i have to actually run to his house after this he forgot his laptop charger so i have to pick up his laptop charger for him um but i, I yeah i can't i honestly i don't know i can't really imagine chris being out in the rainforest just backpacking for a week but like like easily but he did it i bet he had a blast yeah i've never done that man i think i'd probably fucking lose my mind i'd either lose my <laughs> mind or i'd like lean right into it and be like this is sick yeah i feel like you'd be especially with the way you've been living your life lately i feel like you'd be like this is sick that's like, probably true yeah i feel like once you got the challenge going down you'd be like fuck yeah this is awesome yeah that's probably true i went out to moab recently and like just mountain biked for like a week and a half straight and that was sick i was like this is i would just do this forever honestly yeah it was really fun it really scares me mountain biking really scares the shit out of me <laughs> have you have, like you've done it before probably I've done it twice, yeah. I did it in Spok and uh, not Spokane. It's um, Bellingham, which is like one of the mountain bike yes. capitals of the country. It's like really they're really into it. And my buddy from high school took me up, and I think he was just like Woody's a pretty gnarly dude. So um, <laughs> we'll take him down to Black Diamond for the first run, and like I handled it. There was like a six foot cliff drop. Like it was a lot of shit that was sketchy. Like I shouldn't have been doing. 
definitely crashed into a tree at some point. Maybe that's maybe that's why I think it's so scary is because I've only done like challenging like runs. I've never done, never started from the bottom and, and like ease my way into it. Yeah, you got to work your way up, man. Like you, you got to start on like a green trail and on a, a green trail is basically like all double track. Uh, there's maybe like a couple of roots in the ground. There's like a couple of potholes in the ground. It's like you'll have to hit some stuff that's like kind of bumpy and you'll like learn your lessons slowly about having to like stand up and like balance your weight on the bike properly. It's, it's a lot like climbing in the sense of balance. Like, um, you know, with climbing, it's like you can't just like put one hand over the other or you'll just like barn door, right? Uh, or something like that. And you're like, you can't like just have your feet in certain places or your barn door or you just like lose your balance. It's kind of the same with, with mountain biking. It's like you got to sort of center your gravity over the bike and the bike sort of moves underneath you. Uh, and you always kind of have to be standing up as well because there's no other way to, to do that. If you're sitting down, the bike can't move around underneath you without you also moving. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so do you have then, a bike? Yeah, dude, I have a sick bike. Sick. Um, but yeah, you kind of have to like work your way up slowly and then, you know, you'll you'll go up to the blue trails and then on the blue trails, you'll have to do, you know, like little one foot drops and shit and you'll have to kind of learn to, as you're going off them, like shift your weight backwards so your the traction comes off your front wheel and you sort of like... evenly drop off the thing rather than drop off like forwards and then go over the bars or whatever so like you learn that shit slowly and then after you like continuously like are learning those things and then the the tracks also start to get thinner and thinner as you like go up in rating um then it like the black shit is like not so hectic anymore yeah what what are you riding black shit now yeah i ride double black shit whoa which is like pretty gnarly you're, so you're wearing like body pads and shit, right? Like in a, in a helmet that goes over your face. I don't wear a full face. I probably should. Um, but I wear like knee pads and elbow pads for sure. Yeah. But I, I mostly ride black diamonds and then every now and then I'll ride a double black diamond. But I've never ridden like the expert, expert trail or whatever. Have you done those, those think... like like little <clears throat> wooden paths that have all the slats on top of them? Yeah, totally. Oh man, that looks, that, dude, that just scares the shit out of me. I don't know. See that? It does at first, like when when you're not used to like how to balance on a bike and shit, you're like, there's no way I could go over that and like stay straight on that. Or like you see these like giant hills that are just like covered in fucking boulders and shit. Yeah. You're like, there's no way I could like ride over that without just like lodging my wheel in a rock and like going over the bars or something. Yeah. <laughs> but you eventually like you learn not only like how to balance on the bike, but you also get better at line choice as well, which is also a thing in climbing, right? It's like you yeah. just get better at the route yeah. choice. Um and it's the same, yeah, with riding. It's like you'll go down these things and you'll be like, all right, I got to like lift my front wheel onto this thing and then like shift my weight this way so my bike doesn't lodge in there. And like you just get good at like very quickly calculating the road yeah. or the path. I feel like that's got to be figuring out. I know I know you produce very very quickly from what I've seen. I feel like that's got to be helpful in, in, in some way, like the the expression and, and the finding different routes and using your brain to to conquer different problems physically it has to help writing music like it has to it yeah maybe a little bit I'm not really sure actually because i feel like with music there's no set route that you have to go down and if you don't go down that set route you're fucked or anything i feel like music you can be like pretty destructive and still come out the other side fine that's true it's not like a zero sum thing and i mean neither is like biking or climbing right it's a, there's always ways to correct the issue I just mean uh, like, in terms in terms of workflow, like you're you're trying to 
like when I'm writing a tune, I'm trying to get it out as quickly as possible. And so you have all this like this path in your head sometimes when you're not doing just experimental stuff. And there's a lot of ways that you can achieve it. And then you're, you're like you get better at making quick decisions on how you're going to get to this place that you want to, the music to be, sort of. Um, and that's what, where I'm drawing that parallel. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the difference is that like with biking, if you pick the wrong path, you just fall off and hurt yourself. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. With, with music, if you pick the wrong path, you just get like maybe a little stuck and you're like, oh, I'm like, it's fine. I can just like undo a bunch of shit with biking. Like you can't undo a mistake. Yeah. And that's true. I guess with also with biking, a, mis a mistake is very rarely something that comes in useful. Whereas in music, a mistake is quite often like the generation of a new fancy idea that you never would have thought of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, we should go riding at some point. I'm, I'd, be, I'd love to ride with you. I'm down. We, we can I'm, do like a simple trail, like a blue or something. Yeah, I'm down. I'm just scared. Is there a lot of places to go in the bay? Dude, yeah, there's tons. And also, yeah, the riding out here is sick. Actually, mountain biking was invented here. Really? Which is, yeah, it was invented huh. in Marin. That's wild. Yeah, it's crazy, I right? never would have guessed. <clears throat> yeah, I never would have guessed that either until I got into it. Do you know the history of climbing where that was invented? Um, I think it was like... I mean, people have been climbing mountains for forever, but I'm pretty sure it was at Yo in Yosemite. Oh, that makes sense. That's like where the free solo guy went. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that like that Dude. the the place that it got like really, I don't know, people got really into it, and and it became a whole thing was in Yosemite. But I don't know much Dude. about it. I don't know much about like the whole history, but I do I, I do believe it was in California. Yeah, man, that free solo shit is so crazy. Like first of all just the like not only the fact that he did it with no ropes like that's crazy in yeah. itself that he could just at any point in time fall and die yeah but the other thing that's crazy is that he it's like a four thousand foot route that it took like it took four and a half hours for him to climb it which is just like four and a half hours of straight climbing no break yeah like i climbed for two hours with like lots of breaks and i'm fucked yeah. after that yeah i um, went climbing today for two hours and 15 minutes with with curtis and I'm pretty fucked. My arms hurt a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, and then I'm not only that, but just like some of the difficulties of it. Like for instance, um, that one section that he calls the boulder problem yeah. where he could only get like, well, well, this dude, Alex Honnold, for those who haven't seen the documentary free solo, does this one section of the climb that he would, so he practiced this whole climb over and over again with ropes. Yeah. So, so he would like know all of the moves perfectly so that when he did it without ropes, it was like, you know, less chance that he would die. Yeah. Uh, and this one section called the boulder problem, uh, he was only able to finish it, I think, or do it correctly. Like one in, every two times or something like it was basically 50 percent of the time he would make it and 50 percent of the time he would not make it and then Jesus. he so he basically took a 50 50 chance on that section with falling and dying oh and that gosh. section um i think was rated like 13 d or something jesus christ or like some crazy high rating which is like just and that's like two hours into the climb you're trying something that like is one of the more difficult climbs you can do <laughs> yeah exactly it's just insane but yeah he obviously made it which is lucky i thought I, a lot about his his friends like like they talked about it in the movie too but like his friends who who are recording him and his friends who are there supporting him 
like not only is he like taking the risk of like knowing he's gonna die, but like then you've got like a crew of people that are that potentially have to watch you die. Like Jesus, yeah. <laughs> what a what a heavy what a heavy thing to do. Yeah, that is crazy. And like all of his friends were pro climbers too, so they kind of like knew how difficult it was. So they kind of yeah. like understood the risk and stuff, which I think made it like even worse. Because yeah, like whilst I was watching it. I watched it before I was even into climbing. Yeah. So I was just sort of like ignorant of the risk. I was like, oh, this is like fine, whatever. He's a professional climber, he'll probably make it. You know, like as they say, ignorance is bliss. Um, but like now just getting into climbing slightly more and like reassessing how risky that was. Yeah, it, yeah it's crazy. I mean, I I was lead climbing a 10A today, which like is pretty much nothing. Um, and I fell like Damn. 15 feet like and yeah, is, is lead climbing like sp like way harder uh it's 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 mentally it's mentally more challenging and, and it's like it's definitely harder because you have to you have the time on the wall where you have to i don't know grab the rope and clip it in and it so it lengthens the time that you're on the wall and also it's a mental thing like i know that i'm not going to get hurt especially if i've got like my buddies who i know what they're doing belaying me i know i'm not going to fall and hurt myself but uh, when you get past one of the clips you have to clip in and you're like ten feet, like you have five, 10 feet up, then you've got that five, 10 feet of rope that you can fall. And then if you're trying to clip a clip above you, it's another couple feet. And it's just like the idea of falling 15 feet, 20 feet, I don't know, scares me. I, I start panicking kind of. And then, <laughs> and then it's like a, yeah. a practice of like breath work and calming yourself down and realizing that it's not really that serious, but you're the brain just tri trips out. I don't, I don't think everybody has that experience. I think I'm kind of a little baby in that in that regard. But like, I think some people kind of live for that shit. That like really scary, I might fall off kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm, I get scared. Yeah, the first time I went to the gym and saw people lead climbing, and I saw somebody fall like 20 feet, and then their belayer like come off the ground a yeah. few feet. Yeah, I was like, Jesus Christ, that does not seem safe at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. But I've heard that like your belayer coming off the ground is actually a good thing. It just means that they're cushioning your fall a little bit. Yeah, yeah. If just, if they just hold really hard, then there's no leeway, and you just right. fall right on the rope. But the ropes yeah. that you use in the gym generally have a little bit of a, a give, I think, to make it bouncy. And then I think the ones that you use outside are are harder because you don't want to like bounce as much. I believe. I could have mm. had those backwards, but I'm pretty sure that's the way it is. Yeah. Either way, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna start lead climbing anytime soon. It definitely looks sketchy. To f like, I just can't imagine like falling. Like, if you fucking bang your knee on a rock on the way down, or like yeah. if you slam yourself into the wall, it just seems like there's a lot of things that could go wrong there and hurt you a lot. Yeah. Mo most of the time, when you fall, though, you're you kind of realize it's gonna happen ahead of time. Most of the time, unless you just unless your foot slips or something like that, and you're like going in the middle of a move. So most of the time, you're like. I'm falling and you give them a chance chan the Bolero a chance to prepare for it and you can kind of push off the wall a little bit but yeah outside if if you slipped you c and there was like a crag underneath you you could easily hurt yourself mm, and that's yeah. not something you can really like protect against like you can't wear I guess you can wear knee pads and, and stuff you can wear a helmet but like if you fall and hit your legs and you're probably gonna get fucked up we should be wearing a helmet anyway right doing outdoor stuff yeah absolutely like rocks can like just fall yeah <clears throat> crazy yeah well fuck man yeah we should do outdoor climbing at some point i'd be super down i'm coming out for the tipper shows so nice maybe I'll, we can do it surrounding those or something 
I'll be here the first night, um, and I'll be at the show the first night. But on um, that Saturday, I'm going to Philly. But if you come out early or stay late at all, I can get you can get a squad together. Ty, yeah, I think I'm coming out two days early. I think on the Wednesday or something. Or the I think that's I'm flying out Wednesday night, so I'll be there on Thursday. What would you try to do on Thursday if you can? Yeah, I'm down. Sick, man. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast, dude. Fuck was, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, good to sit down and have a chat for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This is fun. All right, man. Cheers. Cheers. You have a great day. Yeah, you too. Shred the infinite. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.